Lord, I'm so thankful that we can uh, open up your word and, and just glean from it and be refreshed. And Lord, that in our chairs, we can just um, just be comfortable and, and, um, and Lord, just Lord, open up our hearts to you and our ears spiritually and to receive from you what you have for us today. And so I pray that you would fill us with your wisdom and your instruction and draw us close to yourself as we just see your faithfulness and goodness once again. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So you recall at this time in our study of, of 1 Samuel that the nation has repented from uh, their idol worship and they have turned back to the Lord. It, it ends the days of the judges that dark period where they were involved in idol worship, plus, as we saw last week in, as in chapter 8, that it was the nation that came to Samuel and said, we want to have a king to rule over us. We want to be like the other nations. And, of course, Samuel, he was very grieved by that. He went to the Lord and he prayed, and the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me in asking for a king. And as we discussed last week, that it was the Lord that was saying to Samuel that that ever since I brought them out of the land of Egypt, they have been in rebellion. And so far as we've gone through this portion of history of the children of Israel, ever since the time where they came out of Egypt in Exodus, and we've studied the scriptures and the children of Israel up to this point, much of their history, almost 500 years now, have been in rebellion. We saw that in their 40-year wilderness wandering, they spent much of that time murmuring and complaining. The reason that they journeyed 40 years in the wilderness was not because the men would, you know, our leaders and wouldn't stop and ask directions, but it was because they were in rebellion. And uh, just a little joke to throw out there, so... <laughs> Uh, the men were in charge and wouldn't, you know, ask for directions. But they were in that rebellion, and so it was a time of where that new generation would go in after that generation that came out of Egypt would die out there in the wilderness. And then they had a time of victory as they walked in obedience, and they were stepping out in faith in the book of Joshua. But it would be soon after that generation of Joshua that for nearly 400 years they have been in rebellion during the days of the judges. So now they have put away the idols, but we see that the Lord is still grieving because here is a nation that they have turned back to him, but yet they want to be like the other nations and asking for a king. And so the Lord was saying to Samuel, I want to be their king. That's why I called them Israel, governed by God. And they had never really given God a chance. And so they were looking for a man to lead them rather than just allowing the Lord to lead them and protect them. And God had set up everything for them to be successful as a nation. He had given them the civil laws. He had given them the religious laws and the ceremonial laws. So everything was in place. There was the leaders, the judges that would judge the civil manners. There was the religious leaders, the priests and the Levites with their ministries. And so the Lord said, as you just follow after me, they're going to, the other nations, see that I'm blessing you and protecting you and providing for you, and it's going to be a testimony to them of the goodness and the faithfulness that, that I showed towards you, towards my people, and to draw them to me. But yet 
they would not be that light to the other nations. They wanted to be like the other nations and having a king. And so the Lord was grieved by that. They haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. And so we saw as we ended chapter 8 that Samuel would then warn them what's going to happen because they asked for a king. What's going to happen is, is he's going to come and take from you. He's going to take your sons. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to take the best of your flocks. He's going to take the best of your vineyards and grain fields and orchards. And you're going to end up serving him. And you're going to see that it's going to be a burden to you. And so it was the people that continued to ask for a king. And there at the end of chapter 8, we see in verse 21 that it was Samuel, even though the consistency of the people saying, we want a king, we want to be like the other nations, he repeated that in the hearing of the Lord. In other words, he repeated the warning that he had given to them concerning having a king. And that's what the Lord does, doesn't he? All throughout the scriptures, we see that the Lord warns us when we begin to depend on other things or depend on the world or depend on our own might or our own intellect or go our own way. There's all kinds of warnings that we have in the scriptures. And the Lord repeats those warnings to us over and over again. And I was thinking about this today as a parent and any of us as parents, as our children begin to grow up, we have to warn them about certain things, don't we? When they're young, don't touch that hot stove or don't climb on this thing. As they get older, don't run out in the street. Make sure you look both ways. As they get older, don't talk to strangers, right? So there are certain warnings that we have to give to our children, and we don't just tell them once, do we? We have to repeat that over and over to them until they really start to get it and understand it. And that's why the Lord warns us in his word all the way from Genesis to Revelation on numerous things and what happens when we're not trusting in him and walking in his ways. Because the Lord loves us and the Lord desires for us not to get hurt. The Lord desires for us to experience that abundant life that he has for us and to trust in him and to rest in him. And so this is what's going to happen to you guys. So in chapter 9, we saw as Saul, the son of Kish, head and shoulders above everyone else, that he was going to be the one chosen to be the king of Israel. And so there's this divine appointment that he has with Samuel the prophet. And they come into a certain city, as we saw, and it was Samuel that met up with Saul, and Samuel began to speak to Saul. He said, I'm the seer that you're looking for, the prophet, and your donkeys are okay. Don't worry about them. But some great things are going to happen to you as, as Samuel was talking to him, um, to Saul. And, and what's going to happen is, is that um, God's going to do some special things with you. And it was Saul hearing Samuel say those things. He didn't understand all of the ramifications of what's going on. Why do you speak this way is what he's saying. And so it's going to be that Samuel is going to speak to Saul further on this. But right now they're going to have a dinner together. And that's where we left off at verse 22. Now Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and had them sit in a place of honor. Among those who were invited, there were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, "'Bring the portion which I gave you, "'at which I said to you, set it apart.'" So the cook took up the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Here it is, what was kept back, it was set apart for you. Eat, 
for until this time it has been kept for you, since I said I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. So they have this, this barbecue after the sacrifice that Samuel did. Samuel is now the, the continues to be the priest and the spiritual leader. He's acting as a prophet. And he's telling Saul that you're going to take the kingly office. And so here's a feast. He was at a place of honor. He would end up eating this this special part of the meat that was held back for him in verse 24 set apart the thigh and the upper part or the shoulders and and i think that as you look at that the the thigh the shoulder that that piece of meat that hunk of meat that would be given to him i think that it symbolizes and it speaks of government of leadership because don't we see there in isaiah chapter 6 verse or isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 and he the government shall be upon his shoulders the government shall be upon his shoulders speaking of jesus when he comes back to rule and reign on this earth when he establishes his kingdom so that piece of meat that that shoulder that thigh it it was a tough piece of meat it wasn't the tender part and i think it also speaks about any of us that are in leadership whether you desire to lead uh, at work in, in that kind of position whether you're leading with your family whether you're leading in the ministry it can be tough at times can it it can be difficult and there can be tough seasons that you go through and we understand that because it isn't easy to to lead in the way that that we desire to and what we should and could and and what we're supposed to and the responsibilities and then do it in a godly way and we have different things that come against us and people and it can be hard and difficult circumstances that we can face but i want you to know that the lord is with you and he's with all of us who desire to to be those leaders in in the workplace spiritually to be that leader as you are practically and positionally the lord to give you wisdom and to grant you guidance and same with you dads and moms as you lead your homes and raising your children it's the same in ministry as as you perhaps lead a bible study or as you're leading a small group or teaching the kids or whatever it might be there's at times that it can be tough but the lord will strengthen you and guide you and get you through as you continue to trust in him so i want to encourage you and here is Saul. It's going to be a, a difficult thing being the king of Israel, not an easy thing. And so he has this dinner. In verse 25, when it had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house. And they rose early, and it was about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul on top of the house, saying, Get up, that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose, and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. And then verse 27, And as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on, But you stand here a while, that I may announce to you, the word of God. And so here is um, Saul. He's about ready to tell, um, or that is uh, Samuel about ready to tell Saul that he's going to be the first king of Israel. Again, it is Saul that doesn't understand all that's going on. And, and you're speaking about special things are going to happen. And you're going to be the commander of Israel. And, and I'm going to free the people from the Philistines. And all of a sudden, I'm in this place of honor at, at this banquet. And so it is the servant that was told, you go ahead. And it was Samuel that said, I want to speak to you, Saul. And I wonder what those words that he spoke to them. We do know that it was the word of God. It was the word of the Lord that was spoken to him. 
It was truth and it was encouragement. And I would love to listen in on this conversation. There's certain conversations in the scriptures that went on that were not told what was exactly spoken, but it would have been wonderful to hear that. For example, Jesus on the road to Emmaus with those two men there in Luke's gospel after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And those, those two guys were traveling to Emmaus. Jesus met up with them, and, and they began to converse, and, and they didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus began to speak to them concerning the prophecies of the Old Testament, concerning him, his, his ministry, his life, his burial, his resurrection. I would have loved to listen in on that teaching, wouldn't you? And I would have loved to listen in what it is that Samuel is speaking to Saul. And I can just picture, because remember, Saul is head and shoulders above everyone else. And it is Samuel at this time that he is old. And I imagine this elderly man, this fatherly figure, he's putting his hand on the shoulder of Saul and saying, Saul, stay close to the Lord. Saul, stay humble to the Lord. And I'm sure that he's reiterating that covenant that God had made with them. You stay faithful to the Lord because we see that the Lord would speak that oftentimes to the kings after Saul. That those kings that you read about in, in, in the books of First and Second Kings and particularly the kings of Judah and First and Second Chronicles, that the Lord would again say to those kings, if you stay close to me, if you follow after me, then you're going to see great things and blessings happen. But if you forsake me, then you're going to see that difficulty and bondage and defeat is going to come. And I'm sure that's what Samuel is talking to Saul about. Stay humble. Trust in the Lord. Wait on him. Walk after his ways. And God's going to bless you. And God's going to bless the ministry that he's given to you. And he's going to bless the nation. But if you don't, it's going to be difficult. And I'm sure that's what he's saying. I pray that as we gather with others and as we have opportunity to meet with others, you know, and particularly one-on-one, that we would speak to them the word of the Lord, the word of God, and that we would encourage them and bless them and exhort them, that, that we would be ones that we would give them truth and, and that we would speak that with with the confidence of the Lord and in desire to see them do well. Again, I just picture here Samuel, just this fatherly figure talking to Saul by himself. Servant, you go. And I pray that that's the kind of heart, just a heart of compassion and desiring to see people do well in the Lord. It's caring enough about them to say, I want to give you truth. And, and to really speak from your heart and the heart of the Lord given to them and the word of the Lord given to them. So as we move in now to chapter 10, then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, it is not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance. And so now we see that this is a private anointing of Saul for the office of king. Now, a couple things here. We know that the anointing of this oil is symbolic oil in the Old Testament of the Holy Spirit. So we see the kings being anointed in the Old Testament but also we see the priests being anointed as well for their uh, ministry. And keep in mind that the kings had a different office and a different responsibility than the priests. They were both leaders, but the priests were the spiritual leaders of the land, and then it was the kings who were the civil leaders of the land. And so we know that in Leviticus chapter 8, we see the preparation of the priests. They would be anointed with oil. They would be uh, washed with water. 
and all that very important symbolism that we see there, that we as priests, we're called the kingdom of priests in the New Testament. We're a royal priesthood is what it be Peter that says in his epistle, and we are to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit in us, empowering us to live a life after him, to, to, to walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. And you see, for any of us to be able to do that and to be able to do the calling that he's given to us in our lives, whatever that might mean for you and be for you, that we need the Holy Spirit that is there empowering us and guiding us and enabling us and a dependency upon the Lord. And so there were the priests, and they were washed with water, and we're washed with the water of the word, as Paul writes in in Ephesians, and Jesus speaks about in the Gospels. You're clean by the water of the word which I give to you, is what he would say to his disciples. And so all that preparation there in Leviticus chapter 8, and then the presentation of the priests in Leviticus chapter 9. And of course, the priests were the ones, as you know, would do the ministry there at the tabernacle. It would be later on here at the temple. The temple will be built after the death of David and his son Solomon would build the temple there in Jerusalem. They did the sacrifices and they did the priestly duties that that we've discussed there in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Leviticus and in the book of Numbers. And so they were the religious leaders of the land. Now the kings were the civil leaders and the kings were not allowed to go and do the duties of the priest. They were to be the ones that God would use to take them to battle and to administrate the uh, kingdom. And whenever there was a king, for example, Uzziah, he was a good king. And he reigned in Judah for many years. That was after the death of David. And as you read about him, he was one that brought the nation into to great economic prosperity and military victory. And, and the people really loved Uzziah. But what happened after many years of Uzziah, the king of Judah, reigning for many years and, and being blessed by the Lord because he was a good king. He believed in the Lord and he trusted in the Lord. But what happened was at the end of his life, he became very prideful. And you read about how Uzziah, he went into the temple there in Jerusalem, Solomon's temple, and he began to burn incense. And the priest came in and said, you can't do that. You can't just come into the temple and burn incense. You're, you're trespassing where you're not supposed to be. And it was Uzziah the king that said, bug off, I'm, I'm the king, I'll do what I want to do. And it was at that point that he was struck with leprosy and he ended up dying of that disease. It was a tragic end to his life because he became very prideful. He began to do what he wanted to do. It's very important that whatever God has called you to be, and we're all a royal priesthood, and, and we're ones that perhaps that dads, you are the, the, the king, so to speak. That is, you're leading in your home in a loving and very caring way. You're leading your families. We need the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives because we just can't do it in the flesh as much as we'd like to and, and to you know, grit our teeth and I'm going to do this thing and all the determination. We need the Lord working in us and the Lord working through us. So the anointing, and as we go through this chapter, what we're going to see is some good principles and truths 
for us as we desire to walk with the Lord and be used of the Lord. And then as we read in verse 2, when you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? So here we see that there's going to be three signs that are going to be given to Saul to show that God is working in his life, that God is confirming that indeed that he has been anointed to king. First of all, we see in verse 2 here that he talks about the father. The father, someone's going to come and they're going to meet you and, um, and you're going to get a message that your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worried about you. He's worried about you. He's thinking about you. And I want you to be encouraged tonight because I want you to know the truth that God's word declares that the Father thinks about you constantly. Do you know that? There are many times in my life as a Christian, when I was a young Christian, I used to think, Lord, you, you probably never think about me. I mean, who am I? There's so many more important Christians and more important people and more spiritual people. I'm sure you think about them, but me? Who am I? And I love what Psalm 139, verse 18 tells us, how precious are your thoughts towards me, O God, is what David would write. And how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more numbered than the sand. How precious are the thoughts towards you, the Lord says to you tonight. And how great is the sum of them. And yes, when he sees that we have a spirit of rebellion or we're going in a direction that's not good and it's not right. Sure, he grieves. But know this, that the Lord loves you and thinks about you constantly. And he desires to fellowship with you. And that's such a glorious truth that we have here in the Scriptures because it is Jesus that knocks on the door and he desires to come in and fellowship with you. And see, that's the picture that we get in the second thing that we see here as we continue reading in verse 3. And then you shall go down, as, as sign number 2 says, on forward from there and come to the terapeut tree of Tabor. And there three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. And so we see here a second sign. Some men are going to come to you with a kid of goats and bread and wine, and they'll give you two loaves of bread. Now, the bread and the wine, I can't help but think about communion, right? Communion with the Lord. Communion with the Son, the bread of life. And again, it would be Jesus that he desires for us to come to him. And what we're going to see as we go through Mark's gospel, we're going to be reminded of that. Just as we saw that the leper would come to Jesus and Jesus had compassion on him. And the leper cried out to Jesus and Jesus brought healing to him. And Jesus would stand on that hillside in Galilee and he would say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come and learn from me and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And that's an invitation to every single one of us tonight. And maybe you come in and you think, whew, this year is kind of starting out a little rough for me. And it's not just because of the cold weather, but it's because of the circumstances and the challenges and the difficulties that I'm going through. And maybe you're here tonight and you're just feeling tired spiritually in your soul. Maybe you're just 
just tired of, of the things that you've been dealing with, whatever it might be. And the Lord says to you, come to me. Come to me. All of you who are worried and heavy laden, and you'll find rest for your souls. And as you go through the Gospels, one of the neat things to do is whenever you see that word come, underlined in the Gospels, when Jesus says come, and you will see and you'll be amazed how many times he says come. He doesn't say get away. He says come and drink of the living waters. Come and eat of the bread, for I'm, I'm the bread of life. That comes from heaven. And if you come and, and eat of me and drink of me, you'll never hunger and thirst again. And the question for us tonight is, where do we go? To go and find satisfaction and fulfillment and, and true peace. Where do we go to, to be encouraged and blessed and strengthened and find wisdom? Jesus says, come to me. And you will find those things. And again, it's the Father that thinks of us constantly, the communion of the Son He desires for you to come and fellowship with Him. Revelation chapter 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He knocks on the door of our hearts, and He says, If you open up the door, I will come in and sup with you and you with me. Fellowship, closeness, intimacy, just staying close to the Lord. And it's such a wonderful thing. And that's really my prayer for, for all of us here in this place, for all of Calvary Chapel and and for Christians, brothers and sisters that I know, and, and I hope you have the same prayer for those that you know, that we would just this year really draw close to the Lord because we need Him and to be really fulfilled and satisfied in our souls and in our hearts because of that closeness that we have with Him. Folks, you're not going to find it in the world. We can enjoy certain things in the world. Certainly we can. And, and we can have those things that interest us, but to have really lasting fulfillment and satisfaction and peace and joy, it comes from allowing him to be the priority of your life and saying, Lord, I want to just draw closer to you and to know you more and to know your love. Fill me with your love and to fellowship with you. And then we see the, the third thing here, that a sign as we continue reading verse 5. And then after that, he shall come to a hill, a God where the Philistine garrison is. And what happened when you come there to the city, they will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with string instruments, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. And then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them to be turned into another man. And let it be, when these signs come to you, that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. And so the third sign is that you're going to meet a group of prophets and the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. It would be Jesus that told his disciples in Acts chapter 1 that you wait here in Jerusalem for the coming upon of the Holy Spirit to empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the coming upon the epi in the Greek of the Holy Spirit empowering you to be a witness. Not that he said you're going to go out and witness, but you're going to be empowered in your life to be used of me to be a witness. Light, my light manifesting from you because the Holy Spirit has come upon you to empower you. Deuteromos in the Greek, there in Acts chapter 1, where we get our word dynamite. A lot of power in a stick of dynamite, isn't there? And again, that's what we see here, that he is anointed with oil, 
the coming upon of the Holy Spirit in Saul's life as he's going to be prophesying as we're going to see that truly it's going to come to pass just that Samuel said would come to pass. And he is moving in the empowering of the Holy Spirit and that's what you and I are to desire. Lord, I need you because it's not by might nor by power but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Lord, just fill me. Just guide me, empower me to live that life for you, to, to do that ministry that you've called me to do. But I want us to note something here, and it really kind of sh- came out, and, and, and I noticed it um, this morning when I was going over notes. But he says, as you prophesy, the Spirit of the Lord coming upon you, you're going to be turned into another man. You're going to be turned into another man. And it isn't wonderful about being a Christian is that change, that, that new heart that he gives us. We're, we're another man, another woman, a new man, a new woman. Because old things have passed away, all things become new. As the scriptures say, that as Paul writing to the Corinthian church, that you're a new creature in Christ. And as Ephesians chapter 2 says, that you were dead in trespasses and sin, but God has made you alive. And I know for me, when I became a Christian, when I really understood the gospel and asked the Lord into my life, man, it was like I was changed. I wasn't perfect. I had a lot of growing, still got growing to do. But the thing is, I know that my heart was different. It was changed. I didn't care about people. I didn't really matter about certain things and and didn't think much about God. But when I really understood the gospel, that I can be forgiven and, and go to heaven and the goodness and the faithfulness of God as Jesus died for me, really? The Son of God? And I remember that all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I really felt alive. And just that, you know, being born again, was a, I, everything was different. And I looked at things differently. And it's been wonderful just being a Christian. And for us, I'm sure that you have that testimony as well. When you got saved, how all of a sudden the guilt and the shame and all the junk just began to melt away and be washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ and that new heart in you and that heart becoming more like Christ as he dwells in your heart. And it is where we see that we're a new man and a new woman in Christ walking in that newness of life. So this is what's going to happen, Sam, um, Samuel would say to Saul to you. And so verse 8, He shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices, a peace offering. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you shall do. So kind of put in the back of your mind verse 8 here because we're going to see this is going to come up here in just a few chapters. And so here is... Samuel, giving instructions to Saul, okay? What you do is go to Gilgal. I want you to wait there seven days for me, and then I'm going to come, and I'm going to do some sacrifices. So we're going to see what Saul actually does in a few chapters. We're going to see, as I give you a little preview, that he's not going to wait. He becomes impatient. And I think that perhaps Saul's trying to teach, or Samuel's trying to teach Saul some impatience. And you see, that's a weakness that we're going to see of Saul, that he was impatient. And he would kind of try to step out in his own energy and come up with his own plans. And that can be a weakness for any of us. Because the Lord desires for us to wait on him and to wait on his promises. And patience is something, I'll speak for myself, that the Lord is still continually teaching me because I'm not a very patient person. 
I want things done now. I want things done yesterday, matter of fact. And I can become so impatient, and particularly when it comes to Lord working in my life, Lord, I want answers now. I want to see you moving now. We live in such an instant world. I mean, we can communicate instantly. We go to, you know, through the fast food, you know, drive through. I want my food instantly. We live in an instant society, but God doesn't work that way, does he? And I think that most of us, if not all of us, have discovered that to be true. That the Lord says to me oftentimes in working my life, I want you to be patient. I want you to wait on me. I want you to be quiet before me. Be still and know that I am God. So go to Gilgal, and this is what you are to do. Now Gilgal, you remember Joshua chapter 4 was that place that when the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River finally into the promised land after 40 years of being in the wilderness, that was their camp. And there in Joshua chapter 4, Joshua is told what you're to do. This new generation that has come into the promised land, you're to circumcise them, a cutting away of the flesh before they went to battle. And there needs to be a cutting away of the flesh in our lives before there's victory in the Spirit. There needs to be a cutting away of, of our own dependency and self-reliance and, and always coming up with our own plans and ideas. And, and there needs to be a cutting away of those things before there's a victory in the Spirit as we're depending upon the Lord and waiting on the Lord. And so verse 9, so it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel and God gave him another heart and all those signs came to pass that day. A new heart and only God can do that. Only God can give a person a new heart. And it's only God that can change a heart. And so verse 10, they came there to the hill. There was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. And it happened when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets and that the people said to one another, what is this that has come upon us? The, the, the son of Kish is Saul also among the prophets? And then a man from there answered and said, But who is their father? And therefore it became a proverb. Is Saul also among the prophets? In verse 13, when he had finished prophesying, he went to a high place. So here they are. People recognize that God had worked in, in Saul's life. And, and they're going, what is this? He's among the, the prophets here. And they're kind of scratching their heads. And so now Proverbs is all among the prophets. But here's the thing. As you and I have that newness of life as we're born again by the Spirit of God and then the, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and, and is directing us and guiding us and God gives us a new heart and we're a new man and new woman in Christ. All things become new. And as we're walking with the Lord, people are going to scratch their heads and, and they're going to see that God has changed your heart and God is real in your life, aren't they? And perhaps as you became a Christian, maybe people started coming up to you and saying, man, you are different. Your attitude's different. Um, you have a different outlook on life. There's something about your countenance that's different. There's joy in, in your heart. We can see that. And you're walking in, in wisdom. I hope people see the reality of Jesus Christ in our lives. Not that they see anything perfect. We're not perfect at all. But may they see something different. And they, may they see the reality of Jesus working in our lives. Men and women that love him and desiring to walk after him. 
And so, verse 14, Then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, Where did you go? So he said, To look for the donkeys. And when we saw that they were nowhere to be found, he went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Tell me, please, what Samuel said to you. So Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. In verse 17, Then Samuel called the people together at the Lord at Mitzpah. And we see that they said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all kingdoms and from those who oppress you. But you have today rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversaries and your tribulations. And you have said to him, No, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. And so here we see that Samuel calls for the tribes to come together. You've asked for a king, then you're going to get a king. And here is a rebuke once again. That the Lord says to them, I brought you out of Egypt once again. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and all the other kingdoms and from those who oppressed you, but you've rejected your God because now you're turning to a man. You've rejected your God because you're not allowing God to really rule over you, but you want a man to rule over you. You have rejected God because you want to be like the other nations. So gather because you're going to get your king. You know what? I hope and pray is that we would come to the point of, Lord, that I want my name to be changed to Israel just as Jacob's was. And you know the story of Genesis as Jacob was wrestling with the Lord and the Lord touched his hip and his hip came out of socket and, and, and there they wrestled and the Lord said to Jacob, what's your name? Oh, it's Jacob. Well, now your name is changed to Israel. And Jacob was broken. And Jacob would have to use a cane to walk on, to lean on that cane. And you see, the Lord wants to bring us to a point in the brokenness of our lives and in a point of where we want to lean on him and need to lean on him. And he desires for us to come to that point where, Lord, that I want to depend on you in every area of my life. And sometimes we kind of wrestle with the Lord in that, don't we? And I'm so thankful that the Lord is so patient with us. And the Lord is still working with us. But may we just continue to just say, Lord, you know what? I desire that every area of my life, I'm not going to hold back, but truly that I can say in my heart, I surrender all. And Lord, I give you all. And I don't want to hold back anything. And let you truly be Israel that is governed over me. I want to be Israel in every area of my life that you govern over what it is that I am doing in my life, in those areas of my life. So he's saying, you're going to get a king. So verse 19, but you, or verse 20, excuse me. So he calls the tribes together, and when Samuel had caused all of the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. And when he had caused the tribes of Benjamin to come near their families, the family of Matri was chosen, and Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, they couldn't, he could not be found. So kind of interesting, isn't it? And we go on and say, Therefore, as we read in verse 22, they inquired of the Lord further, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, There he is, hidden among the equipment. So they, they call for the tribes. They call Benjamin and his family, Saul's family. And then 
they're kind of like, where's Saul? Well, he's hiding. So the first thing that we know is the Lord says, he's over there amongst the equipment hiding. You can't hide from God, okay? You can't hide from God. And I know that I've tried it, but he always knows where I'm at. And he knows where my heart is at. And, you know, that's a, a thing to remember, that sometimes we try to hide our hearts from the Lord and what's in our hearts, but the Lord sees it. We can't hide it. And so it's a simple reminder how the Lord sees us. It was Adam there in the garden, and the Lord said, Adam, where are you? Where are you, Adam? As Adam was hiding from the Lord. And it wasn't that the Lord didn't know where Adam was, but Adam, what have you done? Oh, Adam, we walked together in the cool of the day. What have you done? Where are you, Adam? And I think that perhaps as we kind of try to hide things from the Lord, see, we can hide things from others, but we can't hide anything from the Lord. That maybe you'll hear the voice of the Lord saying, where are you? Why are you hiding from me? And the Lord desires for us to come to him. And to come to him in those times that we need to confess and the times that we need to let go and those times that we need to say, Lord, I've done wrong. Or I'm ignoring the calling that you've put on, on me today or that task that you want me to do. But don't hide from the Lord. You can't hide from him. And so we see here that Saul here hiding at this point. But others say that he's showing humility here. And I just want to spend a minute in this. That perhaps he is showing humility. As he's hiding amongst the equipment. But here's another thought. Maybe we can say it's humility, but perhaps it was insecurity. And there's a real definite line between humility and insecurity. And you see, the core of insecurity is self, isn't it? When I become insecure, it's, it's really the focus is on me. Lord, I don't know if I can measure up, so I don't want to do this ministry, or I don't want to take on this responsibility, or I don't want to do this thing that perhaps you put on my heart. Maybe that's what Saul is going through. I have a tendency to think that maybe it is insecurity because we're going to see that pride is going to be a part of his life in just a few chapters. So maybe insecurity. And the problem with insecurity is it is focused on self. And I can speak for myself because I know there are times when I've been insecure where I'm going, Lord, I just don't this and I don't measure up. And what if the people don't like me? And what if somebody else starts a ministry and everybody starts going over to their church, Lord? And that's insecurity. And I can go through that. But I'm starting to recognize that when I am becoming insecure, the focus is on me. That's the very core of it. Humility, the focus is on others, is what true humility is. And I think a good definition of humility is in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul is writing, he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition, ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let us esteem others better than ourselves, and looking out not only for our own interests, but for the interests of others. So there's a real definite Difference between insecurity, which can lead to, as we're going to see with Saul, he became insecure about David, and so he's going to become jealous of David. 
And that's what insecurities can do. I'm insecure about this situation. I'm insecure about this person. And they become a threat to me, so I'm not going to like them. And here's Saul that we're going to see he's going to be insecure about David because they're going to be singing songs about David. And so he becomes enraged and jealous, and he throws spears at David. And he knows that God's hand is on David. Humility is esteeming others better than yourself. Loneliness of mind. Doing nothing through empty you know, or through conceit or selfish ambition. And is saying, Lord, you know what? I know that without you, I can do nothing. I recognize that. But Lord, whatever it is that you want to do, I just want to give you the glory and be one that just cares about others, that I care about others' interests, that Lord, that you get the glory. And that's really what humility is about. That you care about others and you're concerned for others. And you're desiring for the Lord to get the glory. And so I think that perhaps it was Saul that had insecurity rather than humility. And so as we finish tonight, and so they ran and brought him, verse 23, from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen, that there is none like him among all the people? So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. And Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and valiant men went with him, whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, How can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. And so here this monarchy is established. We know that as he's presented, that the people cry out, Long live the king, but there are some that rebel against Saul. Sometimes when God calls us to ministry, when he's called you to responsibilities as a Christian, there are going to be those that are going to come against you. The world's going to come against you. There are those who are just going to, they're not going to bring you presents. But you stay strong in the Lord and you continue on with him and keep dependent upon him as he works in your life. And so, Father, we thank you for these wonderful, wonderful story before us that we can make application for us today. And, Lord, I just pray that this evening, as we just take a few minutes now and just um, worship you, that... Lord, if there are things in our hearts that maybe we're hiding from you or things that, Lord, that, Lord, that we just want to give to you tonight, that we would take the opportunity to do that. You're a loving Father that desires to spend time with us right now. And your thoughts towards us are precious. And, Lord, we know that you desire for us to cry out to you. Lord, to be refreshed. Lord, to be corrected if we need to be corrected, to repent if there's anything that we need to repent of, knowing that you want the very best for us because you love us. But as your children, we can come and be drawn close to you. And Lord, that we can be ones that we can receive your mercy and grace, your forgiveness, your instructions, your encouragement, Lord, just joy. Maybe if we're feeling down or discouraged, to uplift us, Lord. That's what we want to do right now. And I just pray that we would take the time to right now, just the next few moments as we worship, just to worship you, just to come to you, 
just to be quiet before you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.